0: From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, Implanting an Artificial Retina, part one.
1: It's a silicon photodiode. They convert light into electrical current, and this current flows in red bipolar cells.
0: We have grafts and prostheses for several parts of the globe. The obvious exception is the retina. The structure is simply too complex, and its function is not defined by its structural or optical integrity. The only potential prosthesis for the retina is one that incorporates light detection and transmission ultimately to the nerve fiber layer, preferably through intermediary neurons. The goal of the development of an implantable chip is not new, but recent work by my guest Daniel Palinker is achieving outcomes that are at last clinically important. Our conversation was very long and detailed and will be divided into two podcast episodes. Today, we hear part one of my conversation with Dr. Palanker. We're gonna be talking about an implantable chip for the treatment of severe geographic atrophy with large foveal scotomas. Before we talk about this study, can I get you to tell me about this chip?
1: The device basically is a, uh replacement of photoreceptors with photodiodes. Uh, so photoreceptors absorb light, convert it into a changes in electric potential, and that regulates release of neurotransmitter glutamate into secondary neurons, bipolar and ganglion cells. This is how visual information is transferred from photoreceptors into the rest of the retina. When photoreceptors are lost in geographic atrophy, we replace them with photovoltaic pixels that convert light into electric current, and this current is polarizing the secondary neurons located right above the chip, bipolar cells basically. And this way, visual information is transferred to bipolar cells and then propagates through the retina into the brain. And we try to preserve as many features of natural vision this way as possible. And in fact, we see in animal trials initially, now in human trials, that a lot of features of natural vision are indeed preserved. And uh, so, Uh, because we we try to be as similar uh, in in a function of uh, converting visual information to stimulation as as similar to photoreceptors as possible. Obviously, there are limitations, not every feature we can reproduce, but in general, the percepts are very uh, natural-like, obviously monochromatic, but natural-like, Uh, flicker fusion is working, for example, well. So at high frequency, above 30 hertz, patients don't see any flickering light. It looks steady and it looks retinotopically correct. Uh, So whatever pattern we show, they see it. Uh, The resolution matches pixel size. So it shows that it really works.
0: Daniel, (laughs) the, the bipolar cells, as with all neurons, obviously conduct... Uh, signals down their length electrically, but the interface between uh, neurons is not uh, some wire coming from a from a from a device. How does the chip interface with the, the neurology of the of the retina? Right.
1: Yeah. So normally neurons integrate and process information electrically, uh, but communicate between them chemically with neurotransmitters. Uh, in our case. Uh, the the synapse between photoreceptors and bipolar cells is obviously lost and photoreceptors are gone. So we use electric field uh, emanating from the electrodes on our photodiodes to polarize a cell by providing providing a gradient of electric field in the medium, in the retina. So when electric current flows between two electrodes, it's like a fountain. It's coming from one and uh, gets back to another electrode. This electric field polarizes uh, a cell in front of it such that the bottom becomes more negative, called hyperpolarized, and the top becomes more positive, depolarized. The top of bipolar cell is where the axonal terminals with other neurons are located in in a plexiform layer. These areas are responding. uh, They have uh, uh, voltage-sensitive calcium uh, ion channels. So as soon as they are depolarized, uh, uh, as well as naturally by the way when bipolar cell depolarizes these ion channels open up and uh, uh, result in uh, release of neurotransmitters to uh, uh, second uh, next cell so um, calcium flows in and neurotransmitters release so this is exactly what we are trying to basically to replicate we polarize the cell in electric field the top of it axonal terminals become depolarized the voltage is reduced and uh, calcium voltage sensitive calcium channels open, calcium flows in, and releases the vesicles from uh, 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 ribbon synapses onto ganglion cells and amacrine cells.
0: Really, really interesting. Now, is this device meant to sit on top, anterior to the, to the retina, or is it meant to sit subretinally?
1: Oh, of course, subretinal. It's replacing photoreceptors. As you know, retina is uh, built, you know, upside down, so to say, the photoreceptors are at the bottom, and two processing layer, bipolar and ganglion cells are on top. So we are inserting the chip under the retina in the scotoma instead of photoreceptors. And by the way, photoreceptors naturally are about 70 microns tall, so it's like a human hair, you know, thickness. Our chip is about half of that, thirty microns only. So it's relatively easy to uh, implant, and it's stable there. When retina retouches, the chip, sits there uh, without any, you know, uh, additional hardware. Just by the fact that retina grows around, it holds it in place. Um, yeah, so it is subretinal.
0: Now you mentioned, I, I, if I heard you right, uh, that um, the I don't know. Whether to call them pixels the the, the the individual little sensors on the chip are photovoltaic. Does that mean that they require no external power supply?
1: Well, so photovoltaic means that they are powered by light. It's like your solar panel on a roof you know converts so, uh, sunlight into electric current. that's exactly the action uh, in, in exactly same material by the way, that we use. It's a silicon. Uh, Photodiodes, they convert light into electrical current, and this current flows in retina and stimulates bipolar cells. However, what is important to keep in mind is that the amount of light that reaches retina in amb- ambient lighting is very low, and photoreceptors are excellent amplifiers with amplification coefficient up to a million actually. Uh, so, we, with that, we cannot compete. So, what we do instead, we provide more intense near-infrared light to power this uh, chip or to uh, convert that light into electric current. And therefore, we use augmented reality glasses. So these glasses have a camera that captures an image and it transmits this image using pulse near-infrared light to the eye, like, you know, Google Glass or night vision devices, any visual, you know, any uh, augmented reality glasses. So this light is invisible to photoreceptors outside the scotoma. Uh, but it is visible to the chip. It's like a remote control on your TV, right? You don't see the slide, but the TV set does. So it's exactly like uh, uh, this here. That near infrared light is uh, uh, converted by the chip, but it is not visible to surrounding uh, retina. And therefore, be- because it is augmented reality glasses, our recent iteration of the glasses is uh, like that. It's. Uh, Patients can simultaneously use their natural peripheral vision and prosthetic vision in the center.
0: Let me make sure that that I that I understand this. The the actual image capture, the 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 interface between ambient light and whatever the sensor is that is converting that is is capturing that 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 image. Is at the level of, of the glasses that then reprojects it onto the to the chip, or are the are the glasses just uh, providing a, a background signal of near infrared light to to power the chip, which is then capturing ambient visible light?
1: No, no. It's uh, the glasses c- uh, have little cameras that captures an image. Image, by the way, can be processed to enhance the contrast and so on and zoom and all these functions, out of focus, But then images the image is uh, presented in the glasses on a little display, like, you know, Google Glass, as I've mentioned, or displays like, you know, in, uh, in night vision devices. You basically, on a glasses, you see that display, you look at it, and that's a representation of the world for prosthetic vision. So the uh, size, angular size, of this display currently is uh approximately like you would see an iphone screen so it's about 17 degrees diagonal and uh, uh the chip is smaller than that currently we have two millimeter implant in the scotone which seven degrees of visual field approximately um and we can put multiple modules and enlarge the because each module, will each pixel actually works independently
0: so in in order to use the device the patient both has to have his head oriented towards the the um, object that that he wishes to see and he has to fixate on the the appropriate screen in the glasses in the same way that one does with with a google glass well yeah so it's uh, it's like any augmented reality glasses uh, and like your normal vision when you move your head
1: in different directions that's the same exactly here but you can also move your eyes and look in different parts of the screen like you do, you know, when you look now on the screen, uh, talking with me. I see. So, so everything is preserved. It's like, just think about it as like having photoreceptors replaced with this little photovoltaic pixel, but everything else is exactly the same. You can look at parts of the screen and, you know, focus here, focus there. But yes, your visual field is limited by the size of the display. And that's why, uh, yes, uh, but currently, we do it for central vision, so it's not that they, their whole scotoma is only, you know, about maybe four millimeters. So uh, it's it's limited. The peripheral vision is working uh, normally. Uh, but for convenience, you are right that it will be more and more hopefully convenient when the uh, next generations of goggles will enlarge the field, so we can actually scan wider and wider field with your eyes.
0: Now. If you, if you listen, you can hear some noise in, in, in my background. That is the fan in my computer cooling the CPU chip, which requires some degree of heat dissipation. Is heat dissipation a concern with your implantable chip?
1: Yeah, so the heat dissipation is a limiting factor uh, determining how bright light we can actually deliver. And uh, so that's a li- one limiting factor. And within this limitation, which is about five milliwatt per square millimeter of constant illumination is near infrared light. And within this budget, we have to leave, so to say. So our performance is optimized, the chip is optimized to have light intensity within the safe uh, limit, which is when you convert to temperature should uh, be below one degree Celsius. Uh, in chronic you know, operation, in our case, it's uh, significantly lower than that. But yes, this is one of the limitations, and that uh, sets a limit on brightness of light. The second limitation, by the way, is how much charge or how much current the electrodes can actually deliver. There is a limit, and the uh, charge should be balanced, so our pulses are back and forth. So bipolar, you know, it's going anodic in stimulation, cathodic, then to recharge the electrodes. So that is another limiting factor and with that in mind, scaling them down is not trivial because the, the electrodes will not be able to deliver enough current if they are too small and therefore our next generations we are working on with much higher resolution, hopefully down to better than 2100. Uh, these electrodes, uh, these pixels are about 20 microns, they are three-dimensional. So we actually are shaping the field to match orientation of bipolar cells, and this way allow scaling down to
0: single cell dimension. That's really, really interesting. What is the nature of the signal that's being transmitted from the chip to the bipolar cells? And and is there any pre-processing of the signal to mimic, let's say, the uh, center surround processing that normally takes place at the level of the retina?
1: Yeah, so what is very interesting, and we were very surprised to see, that with the way we replace photoreceptors with these photovoltaic pixels, the center surround, antagonistic center surround, is actually preserved in prosthetic vision with our chip. We believe it is because the amacrine cells is another layer of horizontal inhibitory cells that do this uh, function. They do other functions as well, but center surround inhibition is a part of it. And we certainly see the same magnitude and the same size approximately as a natural right now. Of antagonistic in prosthetic vision but um, a lack of horizontal cells may be a reason why we see reduction in the dynamic of in contrast sensitivity natural contrast sensitivity in rats for example where we started is about two percent humans can actually see better than that and um, in uh, or 2.3 percent and in uh, prosthetic vision in rats it was about five times worse than that so to, we can compensate that at least partially by pre-processing the image between the camera and the projector and the glasses by en- enhancing contrast, for example. So, uh, we can do other functions, uh, simplify the image and so on, but uh, remove the ground, clutter the and so on. But uh, we don't actually do much of it at the moment. Currently, we are evaluating, uh, or at least this is work in progress. What is currently tested clinically, maybe that's how I should phrase it. What is currently tested clinically is acuity measured on, you know, vision charts or ATDRS or Snellen or Landolt C, And these are high contrast images to begin with, so there is no problem there.
0: We'll end today's episode here and pick up where we left off next time. Daniel Palinker is professor in the Department of Ophthalmology and director of the Hansen Experimental Physics Laboratory at Stanford University in Stanford, California. His paper, photovoltaic restoration of central vision in atrophic age-related macular degeneration is in press in ophthalmology. Here's some information about the technology described in this podcast. It is being commercialized by Pixim Vision, a French company that licenses it from Stanford University. The name of the implant is Prima, P-R-I-M-A, which stands for photovoltaic retinal implant. ask questions of Dr. Palankar or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As seen from here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.